Do you think it was? Maybe they were the couple people saw in the area. Maybe Woodard was the white chick. Do you think that? Yeah. Welcome to this episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. In this episode, we will be covering True Detective Season 3, Episode 5, If You Have Ghosts. Please note this episode may contain spoilers of the first and second season of True Detective and through Episode 5 of Season 3. I'll be your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co-hosting with me for this episode will be Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show at Prestige-ish Media on Instagram and Prestige underscore ish on X. You can find me at Real Real Batman on both. You can find Jessica Z at Jobless Dog Mom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair 1017, both on Instagram and X. We hope you will join us for coming episodes as we cover True Detective seasons one through three on the way to the season four premiere January 14th on HBO, which we will also be covering. Now, without further ado, here's the episode. True Detective season three, episode five. If you have ghosts, where's Vinkman and the rest of them? Who are you going to call? This one was solely written and directed by old Nick Pizzolatto himself, Solo. And I will say, for as much as he leaned into himself this season, it's not too bad. One other thing with this cliffhanger we just ended on, season four, episode three, that's when the big shootout's coming. Because there's six episodes, season four. Oh. But only six episodes? Only six episodes. We didn't okay this. They didn't check with us. And it, But it is a different writer, so maybe we'll get a different form. So who knows? Ooh. But if not, if Pizzolatto has anything to do with it, episode three is going to be a big blowout episode for sure. So we start on the... Okay, I was shocked again that they didn't go right into the cliffhanger. Like, they, you know, to your point, I do think with that scene, they played a little foreplay but that's more similar to the ledoux boy shootout yeah and how they kept just showing hints of clues until we finally got there and Um, the interviews to stack around it yeah so we get the 1990s cry board there's an apb out on that picture for the girl some of the people want to show it to the father roland wants to protect him now is when we see the picture of 1988 lucy with like kind of the wrap i don't know what you call that but like a belt around her arm or something so she could overdose herself yeah they say that dan was in vegas in 1987 so we get another vegas reference there tom shows up because he's going to make a statement and he like walks in on their crime board it's you know it's almost like uh, selena gomez brought him in there like all of her boyfriends (laughs) to look at the whole case And then later on, Wayne shows Tom the picture of Julie, where he says, is this my baby girl? Couple questions for you. I feel like for the fact that Roland brought Wayne in on all of this, that Wayne seems to kind of be overstepping him a little early. I kind of question, obviously it's Roland's case. And there's a few times in other interviews and things, I just feel like he's 
doing things without Roland's permission. And maybe for somebody that's trying to help him, he should be a little more respectful of Roland's lead. Any thought on that, Jessica or Dan? I, I see that it's interesting because they brought Wayne in for a reason because he's a damn good detective and he's got amazing instincts. And where you get this rift is Roland and Scoot, you know, have this relationship. Definitely Roland wants to protect him a little bit. I don't know really who's right or who's wrong here, but I can feel the tension and it's palpable. There are a few other places and it's not jumping out to me right now, but I think there's one area where he's kind of leading the group and Wayne keeps interrupting him mm-hmm. and then he kind of steers it back to center. So there's like more than one context clue of that. Jessica, did you have any issue with Wayne showing Tom the picture of Julie? I just, I'm surprised they didn't just... Dis- discuss it beforehand whether or not they were going to when they kind of did in the meeting and he said not to go ahead dan uh two questions first roland doesn't seem to know that they called him in for questioning correct because that's probably the is you think it wasn't for questioning it was to make a statement on the case Okay, but wouldn't you think if Roland's running this thing that he should be in on it? It's the DA. We've consistently seen this with the DA. They're questioning the DA about the conviction. So I almost think the DA is like creating it as a sideshow. Like, okay. so they'll ask less questions, maybe. I don't think that's a good strategy. But, but the DA seen... is not the attorney general guy. The DA. Oh, I'm sorry. The attorney general is the one who I think called the prosecutor. So. We've seen this guy's already done the Donahue thing. He's announced the evidence without them knowing. So this is consistent with his shitty behavior. Okay. Fucking them up on the case. Um, Because he's the one that has to answer the questions about the case being reopened. And that's when he kind of starts deferring it. So I'm almost thinking maybe he did this as like a sideshow or something to distract. Like hoping the dad making the plea to a daughter would be a bigger case, bigger story than the overturn of the case and the questions around it from the now what is he now he's the attorney general i guess attorney general mm-hmm. yeah, or, yeah I, didn't to play, that- I don't know just to have people focused on hey like we're you know now we're turning our attention to like really solving this and looking for this girl and here's her sad dad pleading for that instead of hey look at our mistake when he's making the statement that they didn't make a mistake that the dudes the dude who they caught was the killer but the daughter did get away and now we're just looking for her. It's kind yeah. of how he's framing it. I didn't have a problem with them showing the picture. I had a problem with him overriding Roland who has gone to bat for him to the end of the world. You know, it seems and maybe a just a bit of a slap in his face when he obviously has kind of gotten a slap from people above him, not telling him about the press conference and stuff. And then I don't know. But, but... With, without the chain of command, just looking at was it right to show it to him or not? And that's exactly. what I'm saying. I don't have a I don't have a problem with them showing the picture, just how it was all delivered. Okay. You know, I have a problem with how the sausage was made, not necessarily the sausage. I don't think will. that showing him the picture was gonna change anything. Yeah, and that's the point to what Roland said is he's just gonna think it looks like her anyway, or it, it's not really and I think that's a valid point too, and that it, it it's not necessarily an indicator either way. Go ahead. And it just gives him some sort of false hope because they don't know if she's going to be alive tomorrow or the next day. She's obviously not doing too well and they don't have 
contact with her. They don't have any leads on bringing her back to them, really. And so, like, why dangle that carrot in front of him when it's barely grown? Yeah, and my two big takeaways were the, um, you know, one, Roland's want to protect old Scoot. And then two, the tension is Wayne kind of keeps walking that line of overriding him on his own case. Um, I don't have any of the scoot quotes, but I'm sure when he, they showed him the picture, he was like, what does this mean? What is this? <laughs> Maybe he has ghosts too. Your daughter's um, got the soul of a whore. Your daughter's <laughs> got the soul of a pharmacy thief. So 1980, the front door explosion blows out a lot of debris. I thought it was a little wild that like some of the cops started shooting civilians and then civilians are shooting cops. Like that shit got wild quick. I was shocked by that. It seemed like the FBI guys just picked off a few civilians. Woodard seems like he's picking people off. It was a civilian that shot Roland in the leg. Woodard has Roland in his sights as he does. Wayne breaks the door down right then. Woodard says he double tapped on the door when he got shots around him that he doesn't let miss unless he means to. Wayne wants to return the favor and walk him out of there. This is where Woodard says, I might have been, you know, within my rights until he shot a few cops or the cops showed up. So I really do think his plan was these people would infiltrate his domicile. He would defend himself. He probably knew it wasn't going to go great, but he at least thought he had some sort of defense until all went to hell. So he tells Wayne that he's going to count to three. And if he he's going to turn around and give him a full burst, Wayne seems to know he's kind of putting his death on him. And so on the turn, Wayne shoots him dead. What were your thoughts on that scene, Jessica, the real full blowout action sequence? Oh, it blew my mind. I would probably give this episode a nine, nine, eight and a half. Blew your nine. mind. I see what you did there. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Other thoughts. Yeah, so. it was great and just so dramatic, so intense, and just very consequential for Hayes. And we kind of see things started to kind of fall apart for him in several different ways. For sure. Dan, your thoughts on that scene? Did the payoff for all your foreplay reward you? So no, I would say of the three mid-season gun battles, this was the smallest. I am with you, Craig, on your observation that the cops came in aggressively and it made me think cover-up. It made me think they wanted to get certain people taken out for some sort of nefarious purpose, but then they all mysteriously died, kind of. So that was weird. The Woodard-Wayne showdown was really something to me. It was more dramatic than action. And it was interesting. And now we see why in the first episode, when he's telling the story in 2015, and he gets to this point about them visiting his place, and he looks at the picture, why Uh he has that troubling flashback that sucks him out of it, and he's got to stop the interview. Now we know the reason he had to stop that interview, at least, because all of a sudden he was kind of being taken back into this moment, which, to Jessica's point, was very traumatic. But all the shooting was a little bit hard to track who was who and just what their motivation was. I feel like there were groups of people showing up that weren't even part of it. Yeah, which made me really suspicious. There was someone dressed really nice. 
Those were the FBI agents, I think. Oh, and then what were they doing there? I just took it as everyone's kind of idiots. Like you've got these reg- rednecks pop. I thought I actually, I... if I'm going to, I will actually speak well of rednecks. And I would say, I think rednecks would be more selective with who they would shoot. Like, I don't see them just turning guns on the cops specifically. That's yeah. my opinion. Usually people that are around firearms a lot, at least are, you know, somewhat more judicious, I would say. But for that matter, but I could see the cops being stupid and not knowing what's going on and like just jumping in on the middle of it. It was wild. I would compare this more to the Marty and Russ scene than I would the other episode four action sequences. I got to be honest, the episode, I I mean, I might have pretend rated it okay because I got to pretend, but like the episode two one really doesn't do that much for me or the season two shootout. The season one big action sequence was super. Oh, um, four one. Yeah, it was like super anxiety driven oh, and like it suspenseful. Was crazy. I loved it and well shot. But I think I you know I gotta record... take this down to an eight because I think I gave that I gave it a ten. And this is definitely two points below that because that was like untouchable. I went on record then saying like I liked it but didn't really feel it was part of the show and it was well done and I think I gave it an eight out of it as a courtesy eight. This episode for me is like an eight or a nine but like I will definitely give this scene like a nine to ten for me. Dan what did you rank this episode? I put this episode at a 7.6. So still pretty strong. Yeah just I want to say one tick below the first episode for me. Yeah, because I have the first episode of a 7-7, seven, seven, so I've got this as a 7-6. Where To your point about the fourth episodes in the first two seasons feeling like they were a different show, because I remember you mentioning that in season one and in season two, when we have this gigantic shootout scene with the bus and the hostages and things like that, it that felt like a different show to me. This did feel a lot more on par with this season. And for the most part, I'll say this season so far through five episodes has been much more consistent without the peaks and valleys that I saw in the first two seasons. But I think this initial shootout was maybe it was exciting, not as big in scope as the other two, but I feel the episode actually got better from here. Jessica, since we're here, can you give me a temperature check on this season through these five episodes? How do you feel about this season versus, I mean, I know it's better in season two for you. So it's really this season versus season one. How do you feel about this season versus season one? It's just a tiny bit less captivating than season one. Maybe season one was just so amazing to me just because it was, I think, the first show that I watched on HBO. I just because McConaughey gets you horny doesn't make it a better season. I had not been introduced to quality television until this show. And uh, so I, yeah, just a little bit. But I think this is like more serious. I'm finding it a lot less things to either laugh or cringe about. Whereas I was able to do both with season one and different parts. But this is just all not funny stuff and but i i do like it i do like it as a big you know long order svu fan this is definitely right up my alley you have the soul of a whore i have the soul of a law and order s s fan i think i i was unsure 
before the rewatch, but I think this is unquestionably better quality than season one. I will agree that I think maybe some of the season one highs may be higher. I may personally like seeing Rust and Marty more, but this is a better season. It's quality. Everything is better. Like I will say that I think they took a really wild turn in season two, but you, you can see, and especially with the fact this guy directed these last two episodes and written them and him having too much control was wildly apparent in season two. I think he learned the right rest lessons for it. It's almost hard for me to criticize because I don't see how he gets there without all of his missteps. Go ahead, Dan. I did see a little bit internet chatter that there was so much kickback to season two because they felt like they had to get it out so quick that maybe if the pace for season two wasn't churned out so fast it might have been different and that might have been part of the reason there were four years in between season two and three i'll give you some other kickback though which was i'm going to pronounce his name but fuji naka or now yeah he specifically said some of their big issues were over how much control uh, pizzolato wanted and he felt pizzolato needed to be edited down and so I think that was a very apparent and they don't list other writers very much on this season three, but he had to have a damn writer's room. There's no way this guy went unchecked for this season. No <laughs> fucking way, dude. Some, he had more input on this season. He had to have. Or got like brain surgery or something. <laughs> or no. learned his lesson from season two. I mean, I will agree that he learned some he had to have, but there's just no way. This is wild, but very well done, I think, so far. I think it's funny that originally you enjoyed season three so much that you thought he had nothing to do with it. I know, yeah. <laughs> I thought they had asked him, but I think to your point, it was they just gave him that extra time. But yeah, I thought he was like not even in it. I thought yeah, it was that, like what season I four mean, is going to be. Go ahead. It's the complete opposite of last season in many, many, I mean, many ways. so much so that some of it becomes formulaic that he like went back to that first blueprint in some ways, you know, like we're definitely seeing it, but we see blueprints throughout that are similar too. So to the point, 1990, we're at the Tom Purcell press conference. We get more whiny scoot is my <laughs> notes from that old Kent's on the scene. Doesn't want to answer questions. We do see that David and Josie Woodard, the Woodard kids, are some of the big driving forces behind this, wanting their dad's name cleared, and the kids are trying to overturn. I guess whoever the defensive attorney... I was confused here. I thought that, because when he talks about not your old boss, I thought he was a prosecutor but he may be a defense attorney as well because he's the one that comes out and makes that statement about the kids. And so Wayne's arguing with him and he says, it's not about you or your old boss. It's about, you know, the Purcell family is what Wayne says to him. Wayne does ask, are those his kids? Do they know who I am? And the quote there is motherfucker made me carry his water. Um, I didn't understand that. He's just saying, because the Woodard basically made him shoot him i oh, mean yeah. it's kind of like that assisted suicide deal so he's just he said, i need more of something and i, I didn't, didn't write that whoa but i think it was just like i've got enough shit and other people's shit to carry that i don't need somebody else's like enough people 
I've got enough shit on my conscience. I didn't Purcell, need that kind of thing. Dan, did you have any comments there? I was surprised to see the kids show up and I wanted maybe more of them. Did anybody else want to see a conversation between Hayes and them? Just wanted to see more of the daughter. Hi. I did think. I think it happened just off screen. I don't think we saw it. I got that impression. Or did you get that, Dan? Or you just no? I got an impression he was kind of blindsided by it and wasn't prepared to have that conversation. So I thought maybe somewhere on down the line we'll see that conversation. But I think giving them an explanation would do him good, and maybe it would haunt him a little less. And it seems like he would be the type of person that if prepared for the moment, would by all means walk into that uneasy conversation. I don't know, though, because judging by like earlier episodes, he'd probably just start taking off his clothes or something. Feeling pressured <laughs> Cognitive to dissonance. A... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it does seem like 1990 Wayne is like the worst Wayne for sure. Yeah. So in the 1990 timeline, they come back to see Freddy. Freddy's pissed. Freddy got fingered. Five nights at Freddy's. I, I, I was I a teen. I was a teen. What was your excuse? Yeah. So, I mean, some of the notes I can't understand. I know he said maybe Killer here wants to see if he can make me piss my pants. They do talk about him bullying. And to Jessica's point, they, he does say that quote. I was a teenager. What's your excuse? We do get a Miss Burns sighting in the scene. At the end, he says, do you want to call me a shitheel twerp again? Tell me how I'm going to get ass raped. And I guess that's more or less the scene. I don't know that we got any real additional info out of him. I don't know why we see these kids and characters as much as we do. Unless I'm missing something, they really add nothing but, oh, this is the thoroughness of the investigation. But now here... 10 years later, it's you know, they, they all the seem to have prints or that was when that was oh, before. Was so, I mean, I mean, they had to do it because they, so in, in this regard, they kind of had to address it in that they ended the last season after questioning him and we don't get a tie off to that. I do think the kids are more or less up to what we've seen so far. Red herrings, you know, we do get, I mean, it is filler. I mean, or I'll maybe, give it that. Maybe just hoping that now that they're like more mature maybe they will tell them, Hey, like we saw these people. People that we were too scared to say that we saw. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and they were hoping to get info, but we didn't see any. Dan, go ahead. No, that it, when you say filler, that's what it really feels like to me. Yeah, we're spending yeah. way too much time on these characters. Let's move the story along. I I also agree because I'm like, okay, these kids aren't even kids anymore. You got to so think in, for kids. In yeah. the car, just in Chad. What's the um, right answer to that? <laughs> generally in the car i know at one point roland asks wayne what he thinks and he says i think this whole generation is a bunch of pussies so i guess he does like the word there unbelievable <laughs> he should have said this generation's a bucket bunch of dick holsters pizzolato really screwed the pooch there because he said he didn't like that word pussy hands so i didn't catch how they got they interview, I guess, this runaway kid. Did they say in the car they got like a tip on him or something? I didn't understand how we got in that room. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure either, to be honest with you. But know. we get in this room with this runaway. He knew a girl. They were with a crew of kids. She didn't say long. She said her name was Mary July. She couldn't get straight what year it was. She told a story of how she was a secret princess. 
Some of her stories seem like she used. She talked about being a princess from pink rooms and she was looking for her brother. Jessica, do you think Mary July is Julie? Dan, what did you think? Oh, 100%. Too much matches up. Yeah, and Wayne obviously does think it is her or says it's her until we find somebody different. Certainly to me, like the princess from Pink Rooms and stuff kind of reminds me of the season one, the Yellow King and the Queen and all the different kind of fancy free stuff that was going on there. I Um, think it might have worked into the Dungeons and Dragons and the artwork story. Oh, it for sure ties into that as well. And more pointedly to this episode, but I do think that there's like parallels, I guess. It's not the same thing, but it's just parallels. Like the other girl actually was using, I don't know that this girl specifically is, but anyway, I do agree. It's definitely to do with the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Roland does say he doesn't want them fixing, fixating. And then I think it's a Wayne quote, but they go hookers and runaways, let's go. So they're excited (laughs) to pursue those leads. In 2015 with the director, she mentions that Harris James went missing and we get a picture of him. I don't think we had seen him to that point in the show, but they say he went missing in 1990. Wayne doesn't really remember him. There's a field statement that Wayne did talk to him in 1990. In 1990, Amelia and Wayne show up to Foxwoods, which I guess is a nice area. And it is the girl from church with Roland. Wayne brought flowers, so did Rust in season one, and we find out that Rowling got this house after his promotion. Wayne is, it does seem like Wayne's trying to make fun small talk here. I think he sucks about like too much commitment from this one. To your point, Jessica, she mentions like the rent and stuff like that he was paying before. I think, I don't have notes on it, but his quote was like something like, you know, when he's renting, he could tell people to fix his shit. Now he's the one that has to fix the shit. So this is where they say they dated two years and split. We don't find out why. And then three years later, they ran into each other again. They said at the IGA, does anybody know what the IGA is? Yeah, it's the Independent Grocers Association. It's like a grocery store. Okay. I did not Uh, know what that was. So interesting. And then five more years after that. So seven years of the vacation. They are not married yet, which Wayne brings up. Amelia immediately starts trying to bring up the case. Wayne does not want to talk about it. She mentions, have you tried the woman's shelter? You know, as Roland's giving her some info. We do find out her book comes out next week. It's all about the case and us. I do think Wayne discounts how much of that story for her was about them too. And Wayne says he didn't let her bring the book because gifts shouldn't flatter the giver. We find out that Roland's girlfriend studied poultry science and it just gets really uncomfortable here as she keeps trying to bring up the case and he I mean just a back and forth Jessica you mentioned specifically in this scene you didn't like how Wayne talked to her what did you think about Wayne and his girlfriend what did you think of the scene overall Roland and his girlfriend I thought they're yes that's what I meant I thought that maybe he I don't know they weren't a match made in heaven because they both had very different views on I mean she thought that just because he was an adult male that he should own a home when he was like I literally don't like that and then she's like you have to like it that's what men do so they just had different values so I don't 
I won't be surprised if or when that implodes. But and but I could I was shocked that Wayne was like being so mean to her in front of people. Dan, what was your take on that scene? You know, there there was a lot to unpack in this scene for me. First, we see this woman that everybody is, or I was kind of presuming, oh, Roland married the woman from church. And so they have to explain that. And it was neat that they do the throwback of, oh, I was there when you two met. Oh, I was there when you two met. And that kind of felt like a nice reconnection and good setup for, okay, the four of them could really have some capers and be fun. And then, yes, we've got this tension between Amelia and Wayne. And I'm kind of seeing it from Wayne's perspective. It's not right the way he talked to her and how, you know, kind of crass and dismissive and negative he was. But at the same time, I'm looking at him for the last 10 years being tortured by some of these things and his wife making strides and headway in a case in a way that he couldn't make any progress and he's been you know behind the desk for 10 years so there's almost maybe some jealousy and resentment almost an impotence kind of thing that like oh my wife's doing these things and i'm worthless i'm here with the kids so i can understand maybe some of the struggle that he hasn't necessarily articulated to her but i can understand her interest and fascination with everything and ah this is all the discussion that she wants to have but she can't have with just wayne so it's kind of a fascinating dynamic. Yeah, and I will say, once again, I also don't agree with how Wayne spoke to her, but she also just has no breaks and does not read the room very well. And so there's a lot of context clues. I mean, he did everything but say muskrat, and she just would not freaking let anything go. And it is a little reminiscent of the other scene once again, I think Wayne is just way over the top, but he did keep saying to her, can you just stop talking shit to me? And she just doesn't pull back either. So as much as I agree that Wayne's presentation is more jarring and it's more obviously like pseudo verbally abusive, I think she's definitely doing her own things that are making him uncomfortable and she is just not I mean, just give it a break at some point. I would be pissed too if I was in front of friends and, you know, there's that look. Everybody knows that look mm -hmm. or that or tone. Or at least kick him under the table. or Like, he did everything but kick her under the table, really. Y yeah, and um, so, like I said, he's definitely way over the top. I would have preferred a kick before I got a, we'll, you know, we'll address your behavior later or something like that, like a dad would say. To the credit of this season and this episode, these characters are so well-rounded and fascinating that you really can see different layers and different motivations from a lot of different dimensions in just, you know, three of the four people sitting at this meal. And it makes conversations like this really fascinating. Yeah, it's pretty well-rounded. And I would say, I mean, I don't, we don't see enough to know how well Roland really is a fit for this girl but I would say she looked like a better fit than Russ' doctor girlfriend he had for yeah. half of a week. He looked more comfortable. They looked more comfortable than that, certainly. So now we go back to 2015, Wayne. He's finally reading her book, and she sees that Lucy had said to Amelia, children should laugh like mm. in the note. Now, this one, 
I am struggling with because Amelia knew what the letter said, probably. She like, I can't see it. significant enough to put it in her book. So I don't see, she's quoting Lucy, but we don't see. So, I mean, I guess if we're to assume, but these guys but did, did talk the about the case a lot. She put the conversation in, the but we don't know. Word for word, or did she we, pick out, She like, picked, she picked out the quote. The she, picked, she cherry picked, but we don't know that she for sure saw the note. We don't know that. And we definitely know that she didn't relay this, but it's hard for me to believe that with all the access and what she wrote about this case, that she didn't see that note. But I guess I, the only way to believe any of this is if she never saw that note and he never read her book. Otherwise, it's fucking crazy. I Jessica, go ahead. I think it says more about Wayne than it does about... Well, if she saw the note, she's the, a fucking moron. Like, I think but we learn a bit about Wayne here and the fact that it's 2015 and he's finally reading the book because if you have been struggling to actually solve a case for a decade and you have access to a freaking book about it but you're not going to read it because you're bitter that like your wife was more interested in writing that book than she was in you yeah go ahead I'm actually able to buy that she never saw the note stuff like that doesn't become public knowledge you don't get pictures of a ransom note or something like that oh that's like stuff they keep close to the vest in the newspaper so whereas i'm willing to buy that wayne said yeah no it turned up at the purcell place saying don't look for the kids and that might be just as far as it went i can buy that any other thoughts on that or to what jessica said about him just now reading the book like it literally he could have done he could have read that in when because it came out when like 1990 yeah 1990 when they were at dinner she had already had it if he let her give it to roland or his girlfriend they may have you know been able to point that out to him but he blocked that because he just was sick of his wife and hearing about her book and he's like ashamed that he hasn't solved it and shit and he's letting his own insecurity get in the way of him actually solving a crime Dan, go ahead. So I have to admit, I didn't realize this was the first time he was reading the book. With his holes in memory and other things, I had just kind of assumed, like, there have been six copies sitting on the bookshelf behind him for, you know, 25 years. So I just assumed that he had read it and never really just zoned in on this one particular quote. But apparently they, he's, he, he offers that up at some point and I didn't catch it. He does say, I should have read this a long time ago. I can kind of understand it in this way. Like in his head, I'm sure he does she he doesn't think she has any more information than he has. You know what I mean? Like they've been talking about it. He thinks he's heard any it detec- all. Any detective would think that, you know, oh, I'm actually working the case. I know more about it. But then if you've failed at solving it for 10 years, maybe you and then there's a book on it. Yeah, you would question, like, you know. Could an author really have more information than me? Shit, give it well, a try. Nothing else he did worked. Wayne's character between 80 and 90 that tried to step away from all of this. I guess her book comes out in 90. But he also tries to step away from it after 90. So you'd yeah. have to really assume that he was going to read it in this small window that he's jumping back into it. And he does have resentment issues from this book. And I think those are related more to him taking a step back, taking care of this family, 
And this, and he does express to her, like this was never going to be enough for her. So I'll say it's definitely a tactical error, but it wasn't even like somebody else wrote a book. I would be like, if somebody else wrote a book, but it's like, he thinks they've, cause they've been talking about the case. He thinks they talked about it, I'm sure. And she doesn't have any info he doesn't have. I mean, I can buy it, but it was a mistake for sure. Big mistake. And he admits that as well. Any other wrap up on this part before we move on? Jessica? No. Okay. So as he's doing this, he does see the sedan out front again. Going back to 1990s, they're coming home to the kids. Amelia's wombs and watching the kids at the house. She confronts him or he confronts her on if he's she's going to tell her mom that he's her ex-husband or about the divorce. And then this is where she says, I let this dumb detective think I was single. She does say, you're trying to control me. You want me home, washing clothes, making dinner. Wayne does say, I think this is equally fair and nasty in the way that in the previous argument, she made some real points that were fair, but nasty. When he says, I think you're a tourist, a voyeur, lifting yourself up on other people's bad luck. She says, you're using this case to avoid home. He kind of continually says, I think like 10 years and you never got me right. And then the kids come down, the daughter's sick, wants to sleep with them. And then as they're going up the stairs, she says, we do not say good night without I love yous. Either of you have any thoughts on that before we move on? I'm not I was a gonna believer say that you have to go to bed happy. Uh-oh. Dan. I, I thought it was interesting that the kids feel this burden to defuse their parents' arguments. That, like, the kids are holding the family together at this point. And that they've, like, almost trained to do it. Did anybody think the daughter was really sick? Yes, I did. I um, did. I, I took that. Yeah, that's an interesting, I mean, it's all an interesting read, I guess. I once again was starting to think, okay, this is way more toxic than I thought before. But I guess just the fact that you can see them arguing and closing things out in a good way, I thought that was kind of, it's obviously a bad relationship, but I was encouraged by that. Jessica, go ahead, Dan. Any relevance to them reading the Jungle Book in bed? I noted it was the Jungle Book. I Googled Jungle Book, but I wasn't going to spend too much time on it. Did you have anything? No, I really didn't. I just wanted to throw that out there because I'm a person that always tries to find the relevance in that sort of thing. Yeah, I didn't pull as much out of the lines like in the other lines with Amelia, you know, they were like with her time and all that other stuff. There's more easier things to parse, but I didn't pick anything out of it. Okay. I'm always thinking they could have put any story in there. It could have been Wizard of Oz. It it could have been you know, any children's book, but you know, why Jungle Book? I don't know. I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind as things unfold. So to your point in this scene is he's going up the stairs, 2015 Wayne checks in and is super confused, doesn't know what's going on. He walks up, sees them in bed reading the Jungle Book. And then 1990s Wayne in that vision sees 1980s Wayne in the window with blood on his shirt. And then this is where we transfer into the 1980s timeline. Time is a flat circle. So in 1980, Wayne is being questioned after the stuff with Woodard. 
it didn't seem like they trusted him. Did either of you guys find it weird that they kept asking him to repeat his statement? Yeah, that seemed badgering too. And I kind of wondered if this maybe had something to do with like how he ends up where he ends up. Maybe they think he did something wrong. So Amelia shows up. He won't tell Amelia what happened. They won't let him see his partner who I think is in intensive care or something like that. He's just out of surgery. Amelia is trying to get him to sit down. She asks him if he wants to go somewhere, talk about it. And then at one point he's, what's that you're wearing? What's that smell? And she says, I reach soap and chalk dust. We get their intimate scene at the house. I am Jessica as the known germaphobe on the podcast. What were your thoughts on My first them? thought was what clothes is he going to change into? Because she's, oh, do you want to shower? And I'm like, he's wearing bloody clothes. What will he wear home? And then I was like, maybe she has a big t-shirt and sweatpants or something that he would fit into. But that was my first thought. But were you flabbergasted that he just took his bloody shirt off and they banged after oh, yeah. he was just and at I that crime like, scene? Don't put that on my furniture. And or like my floor, that's someone's blood. And it had been at a hospital where there's even more germs. This is also, all pre-AIDS. This is how people did it. Yeah. Jesus, Dan, why don't we make some more comments? Um, <laughs> so then... The other thing that was to me interesting about it is when he did take off the bloody shirt, there was like no blood underneath on his wife beater. And it's like starch white. And I guess that's their excuse for why it's okay. And it's there's no way there's no transfer of blood. Get the fuck out of here. Agree. And then my other thought was like, I wonder how Jessica is reacting to this. And then she's, what are you doing? And then she just starts taking off her clothes. Like when she was like, what are you doing? I was like, is he going to force himself on her? Where is this going? And then really aggressive. They end up making out and close the door. And then I'm thinking Dan is going to be really disappointed again that we get no visual sex scene. Any other thoughts on that, Dan? No, that's pretty straightforward. I mean, I think it's still consistently like he was obviously in a mood and she did ask him if they wanted to go somewhere. And so I think we're pretty consistently seeing that sex is a solution for them. And it's as much her as it is him. Yeah, call me a conspiracy theorist. But what if he was like old war buddies with Woodard and this was just Woodard wingmanning for him? The whole time. The whole thing. Like he killed the kid to set up the bang with Amelia? No, ju- no just the whole explosion thing. Because he knew that's what just gets the shootout. Amelia hot. Just the casual shootout was all to help his boy out. The prints from the toys and the files are gone. They were going to run the prints now because they have more prints on file. The fat guy in the evidence hall, probably Chad, before he got reincarnated. <laughs> Just sitting there with a dumbass look on his face. What do you want me to do? He wants the log books for the chain of evidence and we've only keep it for two years. I don't know. Like, Good, it's going to do you, but whatever. We see Wayne like in some sort of like room where he's examining or he's, it doesn't even look like he's doing anything. He's just like brooding in some sort of room at the police station. The phone's ringing and he doesn't answer. Do we think that's the Julie Purcell call? I think it's got to be, right? It could be, Yeah. Because otherwise, why do they show him with the phone ringing? So we see a flashback of the scene in 1980. They found Will's backpack and then Julie's shirt on site. 
Detective Harris that died was one of the people that found the evidence and immediately, oh, that's the kid's backpack. That's what struck me. I was like, that's a little rehearsed. But I think it's rehearsed because he was part he's definitely in on whatever happened oh the two that found it because it was i don't know that the people who found it were harris was in on it i think the two that found it were just patsies but harris was definitely in on it he's the one that goes missing immediately after this go ahead okay i just wanted to make sure that was tied yeah yeah so the one who delivers the wooden line it was wooden because it was him acting because he probably is the one who planted the evidence because he's the one that goes missing the director said in 2015 showed the picture of the guy that goes missing. It's that ginger right there. He looks like another version of Blake. Uh, okay, that's what I also thought because I go, that looks like White Snoop. So I actually literally wrote in my notes, backpack is pristine. And then he delivers the line that the backpack is pristine. So I thought that was funny. We pulled the same adjective. And then he's mentioning how they needed to sell that the girl was dead. So this is another situation where he's bringing it to Roland and then this is where Roland is he's not calling him off the scent but he's I can't do anything with this evidence because they want us to drop this case if we present it with this evidence we're fucked and Wayne doesn't have enough I mean this is why Wayne didn't get promoted is shit like this because he doesn't have enough foresight to understand that so I took it as Roland's not saying don't do anything with this evidence but Roland's saying we can't do anything with this evidence yet until we have more. And Wayne says it's all bullshit. And Roland says it's not bullshit to the man. And then they get interrupted because there's a call on the hotline last night. Any other thoughts on this planted evidence or the exchange between Roland and Wayne, Dan? It just, you know, that cover up part of me just, you know, just feeds into that. I mean, I definitely think the backpack was planted. If the backpack was planted, the the shirt was planted. Look at this backpack. And the other guy's like, hey, (laughs) that looks like the backpack of that boy. The one who was killed. You know, the one from the all points. Yeah, and that's the guy that's missing. (laughs) The guy who said that. I mean, he definitely, yeah. Anyway, and I'm still like, Will's backpack. I thought they had Will's backpack. But like you're saying, Dan, we don't know if that was Will's or whoever was giving him the toys or whatever. So there's a call on the hotline. They need to hear it. Now we get 2015 Wayne. He's feeding his dogs. I'm pretty sure it's me in the future, sadly. 2015 Um, Roland. Yeah, sorry. 2015 Roland, which is me feeding my dogs. He says, ain't no charity with these old dogs to the little one. And he brings the small dog inside. My note is he's still smoking heaters. (laughs) <laughs> he t- he tells the dog, you show a woman you got good cooking skills. They, they know you ain't looking for a cook and tells the dog he's trying to help him out. They see 2015 Wayne and Henry pull up. The dog starts whining and he says, true, he's got some flaws, but we'll hear him out. He was any thoughts on this 2015 Roland, Jessica first. My favorite Roland. But you're not the Roland you're most attracted to, right? Correct. But maybe spiritually I am. Yeah, I will believe that. Dan, thoughts on 2015 Roland? Yeah, I felt a lot of sympathy for him as he's revealed to us. Why? He's living the dream. More of the conversations to come, but he seems very lonely. Yeah, I will say it is how I envision I will be 
at that age, whatever that age is, but I hope I will look slightly better than him in his shitty makeup. And if I'm wearing makeup, I definitely hope I look better than that. So Wayne was surprised that was his place because he said Roland was always a people person. Wayne was very nervous. And Roland walks out and says, y'all, I think he was saying y'all are in the right place. You're looking good, purple. Who's that old man with you? So (laughs) the Roland charm is still there. Henry's trying to explain to him he's not really going to remember the last time he saw you or why you're, you're pissed at him. And we do hear Roland say, maybe I forgot too. I did notice it was not SoCo, but Crown and Coffee that Roland was drinking. Wayne asked what happened to the Clinton picture. He said he lined a kennel with it. He said, I didn't think you liked dogs. He said, my best friend's a dog. He's Wayne was surprised he didn't have kids, never got married. He's don't have no kids, man, never got married. One point he says, when you don't talk to someone for 24 years, you're going to miss some shit. 1990s, Tom Purcell in the interrogation room. They bring him in to hear the call. I guess they think Tom Purcell's involved in this point. Is that your take, Dan? Or potentially involved? I don't know. I... Just as a viewer, I was experiencing it the same as Tom. I think now the cops are the ones who are like, what does it mean? (laughs) They brought him in. They're like, you're the expert. What does this mean? Yeah. So one thing I was going to say, I mean, they seem a little pissed. I definitely think they're trying to see what his reaction is going to be to it for an investigative purpose. On the hotline call, some of the quotes are, you're looking for me. I saw him on the television. Leave me alone. Make him leave me alone. That's not my real name. Tell him to leave me alone. I know what he did. Where's my brother, Will? I don't know what he did. I think he said with him or them. We left him resting. The guy, whoever's on the phone, says that they'll take care of her or whatever. And she says, no, you won't. You work for them. He took me and I'm never coming back is my best transcription of that. And then... He does say what she's saying. I mean, that was her. So what were any other thoughts on that call, Jessica? One, do we think it's her? And two, any other thoughts? Yes, it's it's her. I think that she's just been like brainwashed by someone. Or remember they were saying that it's, what was it? Her dad's parents were saying that. That it might not be hers or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, or his. And so maybe Lucy did have her like secretly know who her real dad was all along and that's who they were meeting up with and that's why they had to lie to their dad about going to see a puppy and stuff because and like why they were lying that they'd been hanging out with the same kid every week because actually they were hanging out with like her real dad yeah i think that's an interesting take for that red herring dan i totally agree with jessica tying in that scoot may not be the father from his parents to her calling and saying he's not my father and then now they're checking in on all these people that worked at the chicken plant that lucy was at kind of maybe during that time i think maybe now we see why they were going back and looking at all that because otherwise just all that legwork doesn't necessarily need to be on screen so yes this is pointing me to like somehow lucy was convinced and she's been brainwashed and troubled maybe some drugs involved that whoever this tall dark person is that was meeting a woman that could be Lucy out near the kids 
was just kind of stealing Lucy away in order to now convince her that they're her real dad and kind of messed her up in the process. Are you saying scoot swimmers don't swim? They did for Will, but... <laughs> did they? I mean, we know Lucy gets around. That's a... I guess as I was hearing it, I did hear, I think she said something about not being my dad, but she keeps saying, I saw him on the television, leave me alone, make him the leave me alone. The guy pretending to be my dad and stuff like that. Or the guy saying yeah, he's I my dad. Yeah, I saw all that. And I just was wondering, is there a Kent tie in there? Is there somebody else that was on the screen that was triggering her versus the dad? It's probably the dad, but there was a lot of just him, Ooh. him. I'm not saying it. I'm just... That's a question that I have is I kept hearing her point. use and not her dad's name or her dad. I mean, she said it at least once, but she also said him a lot of times. And it's make him leave me alone. Tell him to leave me alone. I know what he did. I mean, the yeah, thought if process. She, if, if she was referring to him and didn't want to call him dad, she could have said Mr. Purcell. Whiny old scoot, something like that. I don't know. So Go ahead, him could be the attorney general that she's been seeing on donahue reruns all the or time or somebody else on screen i don't know yeah. or Whoever him was, could be who was with him in that press conference go ahead dan him could be the cookies from only murders in the building by him yeah. for that why not okay 2015 roland says he hung up on the tev the tv people several times main when Wayne mentions Dan O'Brien and Harris James that the producer told them they were both found and or dead. How are you going to talk to these people when we've done what we've done? Roland says, Wayne says, I know what we've done and I know not to say it. Wayne does say he thinks Lucy wrote the note that she was trying to make Tom feel better with the note. He says that Hoyt came to him the day after it happened. He knew about what we had done. So this, I think, is a huge, this is another, like, buried line that's a huge revelation. That's wild to me. So he's saying not only did Hoyt come to him, but he knew what they had done. That's, I almost question them delivering this line here without more information. Roland says that he walked away. Wayne says not this time and Roland is pissed that this is what he came to him about. He's, you know, what is this old man fantasy camp after 25 <laughs> years? Golly G partner, let's grab our junior clue detective clue finders and have an adventure. <laughs> he does mention that in the eighties, they stopped being partners and that was natural, but he's like all this time, you never picked up the phone. You never said I'm you're sorry once. Wayne asks him how many of those bottles he goes through a week. He says, fuck you. I'm fine. No woman, no kids, no old friends. I'll drink as much as I want to. You don't get to judge me, motherfucker. He says, I'd whip your ass if it wouldn't kill you, which I thought was funny. <laughs> and then we do hear from Wayne Roland. I don't remember. I'm sorry. He basically says, you know, basically, I'll trust you. I'm sorry for whatever you say I did. Wayne says he has the files he's working on. He reads it every morning to remember. Roland says, you need help killing time. I'm your man, but I don't want to dip so much as a toe back in that shit. He does mention, and to Jessica's point about questioning Wayne's detective work, half the cases you worked, you never closed. You quit. I was there. They keep no, yes, knowing each other, which I don't know if it was funny or not, but interesting. Wayne says, stir some shit up with me. Roland says, how is it that your son didn't have you locked up? 
Wayne says that he doesn't know how bad I am or how fucked up I am, I guess. And then Roland says, you imagine two old motherfuckers like us doing anything other than pissing our pants. This is some senile shit. And Wayne says, a 70-year-old black man going crazy, running around with a badge and a gun. You shouldn't miss that. And Roland says, I could use a laugh. And that's how we ended, I guess, with them kind of coming together. Jessica, how did you feel about this end to this episode? It's good to see them back together. And it's good to see him accept his apology. And I don't know. I think the gang's getting back together. I think the two of them together can do it, but they can't do it alone. Dan, what's your thoughts? Great dialogue. Incredible acting. I actually cried during watching them go back and forth. There was... It was a throwback to me of the end of season one, season one, eight, when we get Rust and Marty back together. This was better than that for me. And it's only halfway through the season, really. I thought this dialogue, maybe because they were older and knowing what they're up against and what they're trying to do and some of the other things that have happened, but this really spoke to me. And that whole dialogue back and forth in 2015, like I ate it up completely. Yeah, I will say original watch at some point i feel like i cried with with old roland but i definitely is probably just because i knew i was looking into the future it was great to see them all back together i there's some big questions here though i mean we don't know what other than the lack of contact we don't really know what caused their split and wayne to quit we assume it's what they did but we don't know what they did and We know whatever they didn't necessarily solve the case, which is weird. And then the other final thing is this Hoyt bomb is, to me, that's a big bomb. Because we've got, other than we know the potential for Hoyt, we've got no other real hard Hoyt evidence. And that one's a wild one. Any other thoughts on that or closing comments, Dan? No. Whereas normally in this show, I like the action and I like the big moments from the first couple of seasons. This episode starts out with the big moment, but where you guys really like the interpersonal relationships and the detectives working together, this episode was that for me. This was where the interpersonal relationship was Pac-Man eating the, you know, action scene. It, it was just really strong and well done all around. Yeah, and I let you guys talk me down on it, but this episode's a nine for me for sure, having got from beginning to end. Yeah, I I really like it, and I like this season. Jessica, any final thoughts on this episode for where we are? No, I really like it a lot. Dan, where do you think we're going from here? Have you seen anything past this first? No, I haven't. I had to kind of cram to get these in a little bit with the different holiday festivities. I'm glad I've got a couple nights to space out the next three. Yeah, this was a hell of a run for all of us, I'm sure. Where (laughs) do you think we're going? I just like the consistency of this season in quality. It gives me a lot of hope. And it's interesting, you know, they've done the three timelines and there's black holes in each one. So I'm looking forward to filling in. Sounding like prison rape Wayne here. Go ahead. (laughs) That prison rape's a real go-to for you, Craig. Anything you want to tell me? Um, Not yet. But... Yeah, filling in the rest of the mosaic in all three timelines, I like how there's more questions and more answers. The pacing of that is is hard to do in TV to keep drawing you along. So I'm appreciating that. 
who are your like top three suspects or do you have a where do you think mm-hmm. this lays attorney general is just shady at some level i think there's somebody at the chicken place that something there is going to turn up and there's got to be some dude that we've just seen once really vaguely in the background maybe hoyt who knows or who's the guy that disappeared we actually haven't seen hoyt yet and harris is the guy who disappeared maybe or dan but that's dan o'brien yeah i'm not sure maybe lucy i think lucy knows who this other father character is i think she's met him i think she tried to throw obviously off the train not him. <laughs> she met everyone in that town go ahead <laughs> yeah but she's dead so maybe somebody in las vegas i don't know yeah it's like someone that she definitely must have told julie this is your dad and julie was like no my dad is sad tom Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. In this episode, we covered True Detective Season 3, Episode 5, If You Have Ghosts. I was your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co-hosting with me for this episode was Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show at Prestigious Media on Instagram and Prestige underscore ish on X. You can find me at Real Real Batman on both you can find Jessica Z at Jobless Dog Mom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair 1017, both on Instagram and X. We hope you will join us for coming episodes as we cover True Detective seasons one through three on the way to the season four premiere January 14th on HBO, which we will also be covering. Thank you again for listening. If you can, please like and subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, and we hope you will join us for another episode soon. Yeah, she showed him, like, the DNA test. What does this mean? I will say that I think I've got the soul of a, of a whore as one of the leading candidates for quote of this season by far. So. Lucy was like, I'm leaving you, and he's like, be back by or he said, train your ass to be an entrance. Who knows? She walked in on him ba- her him banging the cousin or her banging the cousin. And he's, what does this mean? <laughs> <laughs>